Back at work that afternoon, she kept her head down, thankful that she had something, even something unpleasant like the coming introduction of national income tax to occupy her mind. The rest of the time, she fought a constant battle not to imagine Jimmy dead or dying. The daily newspaper was a litany of casualties. She had stopped buying the paper for a few days to try to banish the images from her mind, but it was better to know what was happening than to imagine the worst. What was happening was bad enough. There was anger everywhere at the British stupidity in putting the Australian men at such risk for such little gain. The daily list of heroes of the Dardanelles grew longer and longer. Although the paper never listed which company the dead had been in, gossip said they were mostly 18th Battalion. They were fighting somewhere called Hill 60, and the 18th Battalion were suffering heavy casualties. Jimmy must be there by now, surely. The telegram boy arrived and reminded her so much of Myrtle's cheeky little son Matthew that she couldn't help tipping him a halfpenny when he brought a telegram to her desk. He won't give them to us in the yard anymore, Mrs. Hawkins, Tom McBride told her as he walked over to her desk. He knows what side his bread's buttered on. He sat in the small wooden chair reserved for visitors and said, I got me a white feather this morning. He fished it out of his pocket, a hen's feather, bedraggled and pitiful. You're not planning to join up? she asked without thinking, then felt herself flush. She so wished she could stop blushing. It was a terribly revealing trait and so embarrassing. I mean, the mill is part of the war effort. That's what I told the old biddy who gave me this, McBride said, but she didn't look too convinced. He brooded over it, it must be hard to be called a coward, for that was what the white feather meant. Women of the order of the white feather were committed to shaming men into enlisting. One of the Carters, a militant Irishman who came to her for payment once a fortnight, was making a collection. He wore them proudly in his lapel and joked about collecting enough for a feather pillow. My girl laughs, but she's in the VAD. She's doing her bit. McBride twirled the feather in his fingers and brooded over it. This is my fourth one. Not surprising, Ruby thought, since he was so tall and strong. No wonder the white feather ladies believed he was shirking. No one would think that he was unfit for duty. For a moment her gaze dwelt on the muscles of his arms, and then she recollected herself and looked away. The old man needs you, Well said, with the boy gone. As one... The four of them glanced to Mr. Curry's office. He was immersed in some papers, so they relaxed. I know, McBride said. He hoisted himself to his feet and went to the yard door. But I wish the government would give a badge or something to the men who were involved in the war effort behind the scenes. Wall and Wesley looked worried after he left, and Ruby wondered what would happen to the mill and the yard if they lost him. She put the worry aside because, after all, what could she do? Look to the future. That was best. She was saving hard, almost a pound a week. Every month she cabled Jimmy his half of his pay. Only one of them could operate his account, and they had decided it had better be her, but it meant she had to send him his part of the money regularly. Fortunately, neither the bank nor the post office charged for this service. He would be able to cash the orders when he got back to Cairo. She hoped that was a long, long time away, as the most likely reason for a return to Cairo was being wounded. 
Jimmy would have seven shillings a week from the army, two the one shilling a week they reserved for after the war. That was more than £18 per annum, so over a year, if she could keep this up, they would save £70. It was better to think of the future as a happy, smiling time, full of new houses and new babies. Two more men left that afternoon to join the army. Tom McBride scowled and wished them luck, and Mr Curry promised that their jobs would be there for them when they came back. If they came back, was what everyone thought, but no one said. Interviewing men for the positions was McBride's job, although for form's sake, Mr Curry inspected the new staff members and approved them. We don't have much choice, really.